Sentire Media. Hello you, you're listening to A History of Italy. Episode 127, Milan versus Florence, fight to the death, 1395 to 1402. Before we get started, a word from our sponsor. If you're thinking of gaining control of many cities in northern Italy, because why wouldn't you, you're going to need to manage a lot of correspondence. If you're looking for ways to skip the trip to the post office, and believe me, if you're in Italy, you really want to avoid the trip to the post office, and dodge all the hectic holiday shopping traffic, why not save time and money with stamps.com? Stamps.com lets you compare rates, print labels, and access exclusive discounts on UPS and USPS services all year long. It just makes sense, especially if your business sends more mail and packages during the holidays. Whether you're selling online or running an office or side hustle, Stamps.com can save you so much time, money and stress during the holidays or your siege of Bologna. Access all the post office and UPS shipping services you need without taking the trip and get discounts you can't find anywhere else, like up to 40, that's 40% off USPS rates and 76% off UPS. Going to the post office instead of using stamps.com is kind of like taking the stairs instead of the elevator. Just going up a couple of floors? Sure, take the stairs. Walking up 30 flights a day? You could use a break. If you spend more than a few minutes a week dealing with mail and shipping, stamps.com is a lifesaver. You'll save so much time and money you'll wonder why you didn't start sooner. Save time and money this holiday season with Stamps.com. Sign up with promo code PODPOD for a special offer that includes a four-week trial, free postage, and a digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. Just go to Stamps.com, click on the microphone at the top of the page, and enter code P-O-D. In the last episode, we accompanied Gian Galeazzo Visconti as he did away with his uncle, Bernabò, and then proceeded to consolidate and expand the influence of Milan to the point that he became so powerful he felt the need to be made at least a duke, although he would have liked to become a king. He had managed to be nominated duke by looking around for a higher authority which he found in the king of Germany and potential Holy Roman Emperor Wenceslas. Now, the move on the part of Milan did not please the French king at all and was perceived as an anti-French manoeuvre. 
This pushed France into the arms of Milan's arch-enemy, Florence, who managed to sign a treaty with the French, thanks also to the diplomatic skills of two envoys, members of the most prominent families in Florence at the time, Bonaccorso Pitti and Maso degli Albizzi. It is the latter family in particular, the Albizzi, who had come to dominate the Florentine scene more and more between the end of the Chompy Revolt in 1378 and this treaty with the French in 1397. They had done it in a very crafty manner. So crafty, as Blackadder would say, that you could have stuck tails on them and called them foxes. They had not made an open grab for power, but were managing to control the politics of the Republic by influencing voting and placing key people in key positions. One more thing we need to mention is that when we talk about the Republic of Florence, we don't just mean the city of Florence, but also the nearby controlled cities. However, these did not yet include all of Tuscany. Indeed, important cities such as Pisa, Siena and Lucca were all out of the grasp of the Florentines, a situation which had allowed more wiggle room for the Visconti of Milan. These two examples, that of Milan and Florence, underline the trend in the 14th century away from single city-states and towards regional ones in northern Italy, something that had already been happening for centuries in the south with the Kingdom of Naples. Anyway, Florence had managed to hook up with France. Collaboration between the two had started over the question of the city of Genoa, which had actually fallen under French control, not by way of force, but by way of diplomacy, since they had managed to exploit internal divisions to get the city to hand itself over to the French crown. We will go into greater detail of this when we swing back up to Genoa and catch up with them. For the moment, suffice it to say that we now had what could be identified with some debate, I suppose, as a foreign power directly controlling an Italian political entity. An ominous sign of times to come. The nature of the treaty between France and Florence was defensive. Basically, if either was attacked by anyone else, then the other partner in the treaty would intervene to help. If by pure chance the attacker happened to be Milan, the treaty also included a clause for how Florence and France would divide up the Milanese lands which would be taken in the ensuing war. This was obviously bad news for Milan, who, thanks to an extensive network of spies, found out almost immediately and decided to open up talks with Florence since they had onboarded such a formidable force. Gian Galeazzo Visconti, if you remember from the last episode, we decided to call him Gigi, sent envoys to Florence, although nobody on any side was under any illusion that they were actually there to talk peace. Indeed, these envoys were mostly spies sent to keep an eye on what was going on. The proposed treaty from Milan was one against the mercenaries, which were causing havoc particularly in Tuscany despite the fact that all sides generally used the mercenaries, as we have seen, as did Milan and Tuscany, often against each other. For example, in this period, Alberigo da Barbiano 
having been hired by Siena, had made it all the way to the gates of Florence. You super-attentive listeners will remember that the company of Alberigo da Barbiano, the company of St. George, was where Braccio da Montone, whom we did a couple of episodes on, got his start. We also mentioned another mercenary who got his start in that company, who will come back into our story sometime relatively soon. Muzio Attendolo Sforza. You might want to make a note of that name. Milan, on the other hand, had been a little bit more successful in dealing with the mercenaries since they had given up any pretense of democracy or republic long ago and would use a sort of post-feudal system. I recently had the pleasure of witnessing an example when I visited the lovely castle of Monte Chiarugolo in the province of Parma, which I highly recommend you visit. This castle was built in the early 15th century by the Torelli family. Until they had become landed gentry, this family had been mercenary captains. They had been, among others, at the service of the Visconti family, and it was indeed the Visconti who gave them a nice piece of land where they could settle down. In this way, the Torelli family had somewhere they could settle their weary fighting bones and start a little dynasty and the Visconti had a guaranteed guard on their border between Parma and Reggio Emilia. So, if you imagine the situation being repeated all around the Milanese dominions, you can see how they, at least in part, managed to use the mercenary situation to their favour. Digressions aside, now Milan and Florence had reached a very flimsy and generic agreement. It stated that the two would not attack each other, would not participate in other attacks against each other, and would even defend each other in case of foreign attacks. It is interesting to note here, despite the fact that many continue to say that there was no concept of Italy until 1861, or at least until the Risorgimento, that there was already in the Middle Ages a concept of what was Italian and what was foreign. Indeed, the word Italian is used in many of the poetry and correspondence dating back to this period as well. Then, of course, you could argue, and I would agree, that the idea of a united Italy did not come from a sense of patriotism, but from a sense of, I want it all, and I want it now. Gigi, when the ink on the agreement had not even dried yet, indeed he had already started before, started to do everything he could to meddle in the Franco-Florentine alliance, and the Florentines themselves started to have doubts of their own. When the time really came around, would the French deliver on their promises? Milan was not just going to sit around and wait in any case, so when the first chance presented itself, they took it. The chance presented itself thanks to the Gonzaga of Mantova, who, seeing the situation with the new alliance with the French, thought it seemed like a winning horse and decided to back it, switching sides away from Milan. This was a great opportunity to further extend the duchy, adding Mantova and its natural river protection, and also to give a stern warning to the Este of Ferrara and the da Carrara family. 
However, Gigi was counting his eggs before they hatched, or as we would say in Italian, saying cat before he had it in the bag. Indeed, the resistance of one of the two main outposts of Mantova was harsh, and seeing that they were indeed resisting, Bologna, Ferrara and Padova decided to lend a hand. Florence stayed on the fence all of, well, a microsecond, and then joined in. With naval support from the Venetian River Fleet, the coalition managed to defeat the Milanese captain Jacopo del Verme. When news of the victory reached Florence, they went wild, partying for days with banquets and bonfires. The hated enemy, the very threat to their existence, could and had been defeated. Then Milan just tried again and this time managed to take the outpost fortification. Florence was immediately back to existential dread once again. They turned to Venice again, who really wasn't interested in war, but they did come on board and also got the Duke of Austria involved, yet once again nothing came of it. Gigi now went into expansion overdrive. He went nuts, starting from the lovely northern Tuscan area of Lunigiana, under the control of the Malaspina who submitted to him. You will remember that the Visconti already had a man ruling Pisa. Soon after came Siena to the south of Florence, and again, taking advantage of internal divisions, Perugia came next, and then Assisi, Spoleto, and Nocera. One of the last pieces of the puzzle fell into place in 1402, when they defeated the Bentivoglio of Bologna at the Battle of Casalecchio, and the city of Bologna declared, after re-establishing the commune, for the Duke of Milan. Bologna controlled the passageway between the Po Valley, through the Apennines, down into Tuscany, and to Florence herself. The Visconti holdings had never stretched this far before. I have included a map in the show notes to show you how much land they now controlled and the sea of Milanese holdings that Florence was surrounded by. The Duke had brought a certain uneasy peace to these controlled cities. Having this external authority overcame internal factional fighting. Indeed, many of the cities, tired of sometimes centuries of internal rivalry, were quite happy to give up their freedom to a higher power. There were, of course, rebellions and unrest, but not as much as one would think. Gigi governed the duchy with what was called a secret council that wasn't really that secret, and a judicial council which were the two main most important bodies. Then there were another series of councils and chancelleries and so on, which we won't go into. He would modify the statutes of the cities accordingly and also issue decrees that would at times be more general for all the controlled cities and other times more specific for an individual situation. He also instituted a complex system of indirect taxes, tariffs and all of the bureaucratic infrastructure required to manage them. Although the lack of a system of direct taxation meant relying on, let's say, voluntary donations to various causes as the need presented itself. Now, 
All of this great yet potentially fragile power was aimed at one goal and one goal only. One which could solve the precarious financial situation in which the Duke now found himself after taking Bologna. The goose that laid the golden eggs, or golden florins, Florence. Looking to the north, to the west, to the south and to the southeast, all Florence could see was Milan. It would take a miracle to save them now. For Gian Galeazzo, the Duke of Milan, what could possibly go wrong? Looking back on our 1402, as well as many other moments of Florentine history, a future illustrious Florentine, Niccolò Machiavelli, stated, Fu sempre più amica ai Fiorentini che niun altro amico, e più potente a salvarli che alcuna loro virtù. She was always more of a friend to the Florentines than any other friend, and more powerful in saving them than any of their virtues. The she Machiavelli spoke of was perhaps the only thing that could have saved the Republic in 1402, and that was death. Gian Galeazzo Visconti, the first Duke of Milan, died on the 3rd of September 1402, after taking to bed with a high fever and painful headaches earlier the previous month. His heart was sent to the church of San Michele in Pavia, his intestines to Sant'Andrea in Vienne, and his body to the Certosa in Pavia, a beautiful church you can visit to this day, which back then was nearing completion. Just as he had been on the verge of claiming the ultimate prize, death, that friend of the Florentines, had taken him. We, the friends of a history of Italy, know that nothing can make it hard to take Florence and continue your expansion of the Duchy of Milan, like your own death. So, 1402 was a monumental year for Florence. Seemingly, the most important element was the death of the Duke of Milan. However, that same year, a man was elected prior for the first time in Florence a man from a fast-growing banking family who had for decades now been on the scene, but always in the background except for the occasional distant cousin popping up and doing something. This man was named Giovanni, known as Giovanni de Bici, his father's nickname, from the family known as Medici. After surviving the night of its darkest hour, Florence was about to experience one of the brightest dawns of human history. Grazie mille. Thank you very much for listening. Thanks in particular to my lovely Patreon supporters, starting with the first part of the Marguerite Hack and Galileo Galilei level. Alison H, Amanda D, Anthony G, Bill S, Brian J, Carrie C, Lane, Dean V, Dominique T, Emily B, Federica R, Francisco A, Gabriel S, Graeme, Greg, Ignacio, Il Valentino, James C, Jane J, Jeff M, Jeffrey, Joseph S, Juan Diego, 
Julia G and old John in Milwaukee. Also, welcome to the group to Cindy M. Welcome aboard, Cindy, and thank you for your support. Not to forget, of course, the tippy-top Maria Montessori and Antaligiri level Paolo, Lisa K, Andrew M, Brandon S, David A, Peter W, Kevin O, David L, Renat, David C, Oak, and Sen. Remember, if you want to get in touch, you can do so. Hello at ahistoryofitaly.com. At the same URL, you can click through to the support page and become a Patreon supporter. This week, we are also releasing another episode of News Cappuccino and the sketches. Once again, thanks very much to you for listening. Yes, you. And until next time, arrivederci. Welcome, my son. I am Peter, <laughs> keeper of the gates of heaven. Oh, I made it to heaven. Really, after all the fighting the Pope and excommunicating my father, when that? Well, you know, the big guy has become more forgiving since the whole New Testament business. Plus, the Popes are not exactly being good little boys now, are they? They can't even decide on a single one. Plus, all of the religions have got it wrong anyway, except for one. Really? Which one? Well, I'm sorry, I can't really tell you that till the end of days. Let's just say there are vegetables involved. Okay, okay. Listen, Pete. There's no way you could put in a world with the boss to let me go back just a few years. I mean, Florence was almost mine. No, sorry. Come on, I can give you a nice mound of flowings. Money is useless here. Okay, what about concubines then? Oh, well, no, uh, no, 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 no. Oh, come on. No, sorry. Plus, you had your heart and guts cut out and sent places. What body are you going to go back to? Crap. I knew that was going to come back to bite me. Well... Could you at least tell me how things turn out? Will my duchy survive? Yes, it will. It will last for centuries. Cool. Yes, yes. Although, the Visconti won't be in charge. What? We don't lose to those Florentines, do we? I swear, if I could haunt someone and I... No, no. Sforza defeats your son and then marries into the family. Sforza? That dirty lower life mercenary. Yes, yes, but it's all quite grand, and, and it stays independent for a bit. What do you mean? Well, at a certain point the French get it, and then you get it back, and then the Spanish, and then the Austrians, and more or less until Napoleon comes along. Who? Oh, it's some French general. Oh, I'll bet he won't conquer as much stuff as I did. Well... Never mind. Is that all you can tell me? Isn't there any good news? Well, in the distant future, a man from Milan will control three television channels and the serpent of the Visconti will be displayed upon them. 
Okay, I have no idea what that means, but it sounds good. Yes, he will rule over all of Italy three times. Really? Well, that's what I'm talking about. Will he set up kingdom? Well, he would have liked to, I bet. Well, will his reign end in glory? Say it all again. Will his reign end in glory? Well, he's not quite done yet, but after bringing the country to the brink of financial ruin, he will then be involved in a scandal with underage girls and then be condemned for tax fraud and end up doing community service in an old folks' home. Oh, kind of makes me wonder if it's all worth it. Well, you know, ashes to ashes and all of that. Enjoy your stay. Okay, what about concubines? <laughs> Concubines. Well, you know, the big guy... What happened to your poop voice? No, <coughs> <coughs> <laughs> 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 the one you used to do like this. Well... <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like Kermit the Frog. What? <laughs> 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 Should we switch back or do you just want to do it? Well, well, <laughs> well. <laughs> okay, it's you do pizza. Okay. Sentire Media. Hey, podcast producers and show hosts. Do you want to join a podcast network that celebrates all things Italian? At Sentire Media, we understand the allure of Italy and its unique culture. Our devoted team of hosts and producers are all driven by their shared passion for Italy. And we work tirelessly to create the best lifestyle podcasts and content that will whisk you away to the very heart of Italy. With us, you can savor the mouth-watering flavors, get lost in the stories from the past, break down the cultural barriers, and truly immerse yourself in the vibrant traditions of this intoxicating country. If you have a great podcast idea or are already in production and would like to join Sentire Media, head over to sentiremedia.com that's S-E-N-T-I-R-E media.com and find out how to submit your show.